The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Numbers told the story they always do. This is a numbers game with Gil Alexander on VSIN. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Hour number two of a numbers game at VSIN, the Sports Betting Network, VSIN.com, the VSIN app, Fubo, Slate, Gay Plus, iHeartRadio, YouTube TV. It's all brought to you by BetMGM Nevada. It's Gil Alexander. Jeff Parlay is here as well. Jeff Schwartz will join us later to talk NFL draft. His thoughts on the NFL draft. Again, I got uh, seven bets now, a week. Uh, what is it, eight days out now? Seven bets. I think I'll have eight. By tomorrow, every time I think I'm done, I add a couple. We'll find out what Jeff's thinking about the draft, which is as nebulous as they come. Too many mocks. Too many people have mocks, Jeff. It's mock season. Mockery. It is a mock. Well done. Well done, Jeff Parlay. And Daniel Jeremiah's uh, final mock is only the eve up, so that's not going to help us. Oh, we need guidance. Uh, and a little later on, Brady Cannon as well, joining us on uh, PGA. He'll be in studio. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, from under a cloud of smoke in Southern California, he's the host of the Wide World of Wine Garden podcast, the great Jason Weingarten, everybody. How you doing, Jason? Pretty good. Nice nice to be here. Yeah, man. Long time no see. Feels like it's been a long time no see, but I guess I saw you last week. Um, yeah. Let me ask you about Garrett Cole last night. Garrett Cole goes an inning and two-thirds against the Detroit Tigers. 68 pitches. Uh, we were on air, but we're sort of, you know, distracted by the screens, and so we were watching it. And we had Joe Sheehan on, and I, you know, I asked Joe Sheehan the question that, you know, is this the typical way over reaction question, which is, hey, I mean, is this a thing with with Garrett Cole? But what I tried to do is extend it back to last year, and of course, the sticky substance matter. And if you look at Garrett Cole's, you know, performance since then, he ain't Garrett Cole, the Garrett Cole we used to know before the three hundred twenty-four million dollar contract was signed, and he wouldn't be the first player to melt under the lights of New York City. I get. Last night's game was not in New York City, but you get what I mean. A free agent that goes or a trade that uh, brings someone to New York City. Where do you stand on Garrett Cole, and do you feel his prices when he's on the mound are generally exaggerated? I don't know that his prices are too exaggerated based off a couple bad starts to start the season. Um, The home runs worry me just from a, a Cy Young standpoint. I've kind of dropped him a little bit in my my numbers just based on his uh, his propensity to give up home runs recently. Uh, that's going to hurt him. Um, but yeah, you're definitely onto something with the sticky the sticky stuff or lack of of you know help there for for guys like him. It wouldn't surprise me if he still is a top top line you know front line starter the rest of the season. But I'm I'm not anticipating him winning the Cy Young or being a serious contender at this point. So William Hill has put out, they've already started to put out adjusted season win totals in major league baseball, which I think is awesome, right? That they will, that they will do that either every day or they will periodically put them out as the season goes on. How deep into a season do you think you'd want to go before you take a look and jump into those? I, I would assume it's not 10 games. 
when when do you think might be the time to jump in? I mean, people really like to draw assumptions from performance over 10 games. And I always say that if it supports my narrative, then it's significant early. And if it doesn't, then it's small sample size. But there are definitely some conclusions that can be drawn after about 10 games. Like, for example, the Reds are very bad and they might win a couple games here and there, but I don't expect them to get, you know, meaningfully better over the course of the season. Um, so it really, you know, it really depends what assumption you're attempting to draw on what team. If, if you're really confident that a number, you know, needs to be adjusted or has been over adjusted, then there's probably some value in those markets. I, I have to take a better look at, at that stuff. I haven't seen the adjusted win total numbers at Will Hill, but I know that uh, Will Hill's goal is to keep these markets up as long as possible. So um, it's, it's, in, it's interesting that we have these new in season markets. Yeah. To, to look at and good on them. Good on them for doing it right. Like uh, William Hill under new management, good on them for uh, for putting those up, I I know that they're there. I haven't delved into them either. Too busy making NFL draft uh, assessments. Do you bet the NFL draft? And if so, what bets do you have so far? I bet a little bit, mostly just because I don't have the the access to you know a bunch of books that have good numbers on this stuff. And mm-hmm. it's really like everything; it's numbers dependent. So I have I have a couple bets. I bet the uh, the over wide receivers in the first round. I got like minus one eighty on five and a half or something. I think that's it's moved a bit. I have I have the unders on uh, uh, Sauce Gardner and and the LSU cornerback to Derek go. Stingley. Wow, we're in alignment on all three of these. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I got uh, I have a, a long shot, relatively long shot for first overall. Uh, I have three to one on, on Walker. I don't know if you, you bet anything. I, I know uh, I didn't do anything with the first pick, but, but yeah, uh, tra- it's come down on, on Hutchinson for sure. Uh, minus minus one sixty five was the lowest I see now. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't pile into the favorite for the first overall pick early. You know, that tends to be the, the kind of market where you're very confident that one guy is going to be the pick up until the day before the draft, when the draft pick gets traded or something leaks. And then you're, you're stuck holding a bad number. I do have, I have Malik Willis to be the first quarterback drafted. Is he, is that still a thing? Is he still number one quarterback? Uh, You know? Yeah, he is still the number one quarterback. But it is it is so indicative. Like, you know, Drew Densick was on yesterday. He's a big NFL draft guy. We're going to do the NFL draft pod on Monday, um, beating the book pod. And he was even saying, like, yesterday, the topic sentence was, I don't like, I was like, what's your favorite bet of all the ones you have? He's like, I don't have a favorite. And it really does come down to the fact that the very first pick in the draft has all of a sudden become a bit vague. That will determine probably what Detroit will be at, too, because because if, if, if you know, if Jacksonville doesn't take Aiden Hutchinson, I can't imagine Detroit not taking him, being a Michigan kid uh, at number two. If they do, if Jacksonville does take Aiden Hutchinson, then Detroit has two and 32, right? So then you start to get into this whole thing, and this is what makes this draft unique. You have eight teams that have two picks in the first round. That's a quarter of the league. It's never happened before. Six is the previous record. And so with that... You have to try to assess 232 might be too wide of a gap to, to maybe it's not the best example, but there's some teams that have 410, right? 
you, you just have to figure out what is their strategy on, you know, because if Detroit figures they can get a quarterback at 32, like a Desmond Ritter, maybe they like Desmond Ritter just as much as they like Malik Willis, well, then they probably won't use a, you know, why use the quarterback, you know, the second pick for a quarterback. So it's all of those little uh, assessments you're going to have to make this year with eight teams having that issue, or the, not that, or I shouldn't say that issue, but that, that, uh, you know, embarrassment of riches in the first round, but it kind of sucks for our betting. So it, it's a lot of if this happens, then this should happen. Like the Texans at three. How, why would they even bother using that pick? They have a need everywhere. So it's like they should trade that down. And then once you start getting into trades, you can't predict anything. And Drew said yesterday, the fourth pick, and this will be the last thing I say about this, the fourth pick, he says, if you can figure out, if you can unlock what the Jets are going to do at four, you'll go a long way towards solving this draft. So all of that to say, God help us all. This might be, it's the, the irony of books here in Las Vegas waiting the longest to put them up is that they probably will have their most successful draft. Yeah, I think the later you wait to put a lot of this stuff up, the better informed the line's going to be. Um, unfortunate for us, the betters, but yeah, I mean, there's, I, I'm definitely looking like when Circa has the props up, uh, I'm interested in like quarterback position over unders, uh, Matt Corral's a guy I'd look to fade still. Yeah. But I wonder if a team like new Orleans will become sort of interested in him. Uh, I believe it's 22 where they pick or they have a couple picks. Themselves. I just don't think that my thing is, I don't think a lot of these guys have legit first round grades for, for their spots, like quarterback wise. They're right. Corral's not a first round quarterback. Like I, I don't like to, to, to talk bad about players for no reason. But like, if I was in the draft room, I'd say, why are we wasting a first round pick on this guy? This isn't a first round quarterback. This guy's going to start 10 NFL games if we're lucky. Well, I mean, there are people who know college football a lot better than you and I, who, uh, who are guests on this show, who are like, none of these five guys, none of these. Yeah. I mean, if this were, were honestly like they would, they should never be picked high in a draft. But you know how teams go quarterback crazy. Again, my North Star, I'll say it again, I'll say it once a day. My North Star on my bets has been the Daniel Jeremiah comment of, look what's happening with, you know, these middling wide receivers currently getting $10 million a year. The, the Christian Kirks of the world and the, uh, the Zay Joneses of the world getting $10 million a year. It's never been more important for teams to have rookie contract control over wideouts and quarterbacks, of course, follow suit, which is, which is why, and you have these bets too, I have the over six on wide receivers at plus 140 and the over three on quarterbacks at minus 115. That's why I make those bets, because the one thing that I do think I know of all of this is that's always going to be a priority for those teams, quarterbacks and wide receivers, because and Debo Samuel yesterday, he's like, hey, I, I don't like my contract. I want out of San Francisco. So these GMs have to be thinking to myself, why do I want to deal with this? Let me just grab someone that I can control for four years. I mean, that's yeah. I mean, it's also just a matter of fact that like the first round of the NFL draft, your your goal is to find guys with the highest upside, the highest potential to become superstars. And guys who can play, you know, guard or center or linebacker or whatever, you could find serviceable guys like that in the second, third, fourth, seventh round. You know, there are guys that grade out fine. That'll be available in the second half of the draft, the first round. And, 
you know, more, more so lately the second round, but always the first round, the goal is to find playmakers, to find difference makers, to find guys that can actually move the needle. Cause I've talked about it a lot, especially on my podcast. When I talk about NFL, it's, it's about playmakers. There, there's only 10 or 15 guys in all the NFL who actually matter. The rest are all replaceable. Jason, can you hang out a little longer? Absolutely. Come back after the break. More with Jason Weingarten, the host of the Wide World of Weingarten podcast. Coming back on the other side. Numbers Game Feast in the Sports Betting Network. It is all in for the draft next week in Las Vegas. We got a special draft preview show this Sunday at 6 p.m. Tim Murray and Sean King. They'll break down all the first-round prospects and props. And expert guests will include legendary broadcaster Brent Musburger, former NFL GM Michael Lombardi, former NFL lineman and TV host Mike Golick, and his son. VEASAN's draft preview special this Sunday at 6 p.m. exclusively on VEASAN. Don't forget to download our NFL draft betting guide featuring best bets, mock drafts, and everything you need to score big this draft season. Download it today for just $10.00. Go to visa.com slash draft for more information. It's Gil Alexander. We get tweets. Uh, there was literally, there's about, you know, 50, you know, tweets about the Woj segment earlier and uh, all uh, in uh, support in varying degrees of uh, aggression on the, on the support. We do have one dissenting opinion. This is from uh, Kevin Andrus. Woj's burner account. I'm kidding, Kevin. It's not Woj's burner account. I know it's you. Uh, Kevin Anderson said, love you, bro. But Woj's point was the interactions between players and fans is only going to get worse as betting becomes more accessible during events. Kevin, uh, I won't, I I have problems with your premise, but let's just go with what you're saying. If that was Woj's only point, why bring betting into it at all? I, I don't understand why he would even do that then. What's, in other words, you have to ask yourself, who is Woj? Who who is Woj in Woj's head? What is he thinking? Who is he thinking he's appealing to? A boss of his? Did someone put that in his head? Jeff, you had some thoughts on this. You thought? Oh, somebody- I, I, his bosses clearly are not putting that in his head, knowing ESPN's deals with right with 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 uh with Caesars. But you have to imagine that came from someone in a league office or a player. Like it came from uh, some that side of the ledger. Yeah. Woj didn't come come up with that on his own. There's no way. Adrian Wojnarowski. We'll have the uh, we'll have the video of that, of course, on Visa.com once the show once the show is put up. Uh, Jason Weingarten joins us once again. Uh, Wide World of Weingarten, which comes to us how many days a week, Jason? These days. Approximately five, although wow. the five days tend to, to change, you know, sometimes on a weekend I'll, I'll pop one out, but you know, we get about five a week. Hopefully it'll pop one out to give it birth to a, to a podcast episode. Um, okay. Baseball today. What do you like? What have you bet? I bet the Yankees today, Luis Severino pitching. I think I got about 170 there. Um, I'm mostly waiting for some hits, runs, errors lines to open. They're not all up yet, but uh, have you noticed home runs are down almost yes. like a full percent? Yes. And so uh, my question to you would be, all right, is something afoot here? And if something is afoot, let's say with the baseball, why would they do that? Well, I mean, 
I would say based on 10 games, it looks like the ball has been deadened slightly year over year, but I can't, I can't confirm that, you know, I could just tell you what I've seen and it does seem that there's less home runs, less cheap home runs Mm -hmm. as there have been in past years. And I watched a video yesterday of, of, you know, all the home runs hit on, uh, on whatever it was Tuesday or whatever seems mostly like the power hitters are the guys hitting home runs, you know, the big body guys, uh, which, which really does make me think the ball has been deadened a little bit. And I'm, I'm fine with it personally. Um, I don't have a problem with a dead ball. I think it, it makes the game go slightly faster. It, uh, you know, I, I think the home runs just, you get too many home runs. It just makes betting not so fun. You know, you, you just get so much variance with men on base. Yeah, my, my so, point was more of an attraction of fans to generations kind of thing. But you're right. From a betting standpoint, it harnesses it better for us, right? We we can wrap our arms around it that much more incrementally. Um, yeah, and I mean, baseball clearly has a pace of play problem. When the games get over three hours, I'm I'm basically done in my head. You know, these four-hour games are not, not going to fly long-term. They don't fly with the viewers. They don't fly with... You know, the, the audience declines over over time. The interest is not there at the end of the game. You know, baseball has a serious problem with pace of play. Um, Do you, but also, I, I would say that the ball being deadened probably most likely has to do with the upcoming free agent classes and the fact that, you know, some of the, the headline players in these classes, the Juan Sotos of the world, are going to, you know, ask for $500 million mm-hmm. or record setting numbers. And the, the higher the offensive numbers are, the, the more money you're going to see these players ask for. So oh, interesting. Yeah. Baseball has an incentive to have a dead ball, you know, but that's, well, that's let, me being a tinfoil hat man there. I, so. I like I like when you're tinfoil hat man. That's my favorite version. Yeah, of Jason just because I'm crazy. Doesn't mean I'm not, not right. <laughs> that's right. Doesn't mean you're wrong. Uh, it's, but let me ask you this. I don't know if we, you and I have had this discussion before because next year, right, is when the pitch clock thing will come in. Is that a done deal or is that just sort of on yeah, the table? Yeah, they just implemented it in AAA this right. last week or so. Okay, to, to really good pace of play results, right? It's shaving off a bunch of uh, like 20 yeah. minutes a game or something like that. There was a, there was a game yesterday that ended in under two hours. Oh. Which if we if we can get oh. every baseball game two hours, come on. Are you like kidding that, me? That's, that's the greatest thing ever. But here's yeah, here, let's here speed was, the stuff up. Here was my point about the pitch, the pitch clock, because I keep saying pitch count. I'm sorry, pitch clock. The, the I believe that the that the institution of the pitch clock will have massive effects late in games. So in other words, these guys that they, every first of all everybody's throwing like 96, 97, 100 now. It's like every human being throws at a ridiculous number these days, but. You know, the relievers, the closers specifically, who are, who rely on velocity like that, when you have a pitch clock, you can't really catch your breath after that. So remember, like, Araldus Chapman, when he was, first of all, when he was the only guy throwing 100, right? He'd throw his pitch, he'd circle the mound, you know, he'd get all ramped up, he'd rest, he'd take a breather, then he'd fire his second pitch when he was ready, or a subsequent pitch. With a pitch clock... That goes out the window. So I really do think, and this is well in advance of it happening, obviously, but I think it's an interesting discussion of, I do think that you will see an explosion of of hitting late in games once that's instituted. That's my working theory, anyway. 
Yeah, I could definitely see guys the 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 pitch the pitch clock stuff having you know an effect on velocity and guys not having time to recover in between pitches, leading to to you know slightly lower velocity. Um, I'd really I'd, I'd really like to see how it how it actually plays out at the the minor league level for another week or two, but uh, it does seem that that scoring was slightly down. The games were were faster. I mean, I'm all for making the games go faster. It's unbearable. And some of these angels games I've watched this year go on four hours. Oh, I don't even, I don't want to watch a three it, hour angels game. It's brutal. And we love baseball and we don't want to watch it. You, uh, there's just no action. Right. There's no action for, you know, and sometimes I'll be looking at a box score and I'll go do something else and I'll come back and I'll be like, <laughs> it's still the same inning. Yeah, I like, know it's horrible with that. There was some inning last night. We were like, are they still in the top of the, like, oh my God, the, uh, let's just roll it. Let's just, just speed this thing up. Come yeah. On. Uh, one, one, you know, I was just thinking about random texts that we, text exchanges that we've had. I'll try to stick to the, to the ones that are pertinent, but the, the, the comment you made, and we've had this, some variation of this discussion over the years, which is, well, looks like another year where you're going to have to, uh, play a lot of really ugly dogs in baseball games. Oh, fun. Have you found that to be the case so far? Yeah, slightly. I mean, I think we were talking about Oakland in particular because I I was very anti-Oakland before the season. And you know, I mean, a lot of my anti my anti-Oakland stuff comes from the fact that they're they're just not invested in their payroll. You know, they're mm-hmm. they're in a league where where teams are spending, you know, infinite money, they they have less of a, a yearly budget than the Dodgers spend every month. You know, it it and and as I learn more about European soccer and British soccer, as I've been doing recently, uh, you know, the, the A's would be relegated at this point for, for not being competitive with the rest of the league. But for some reason in, in America, we just allow teams to continue to be mediocre and not spend money and take public money for, uh, stadiums, which I think is absolutely egregious, but regardless of what I think about Oakland, they just go out there and, you know, Cole Irvin and Paul Blackburn and guys, I'm like, who, what, what, these are the starting pitchers. And somehow they get six innings and, you know, eight strikeouts out of these guys on a regular basis. So, you know, far be it for me to uh, argue with, with the team that's had that, that much sustained success. while cutting every quarter corner financially for the last decade plus. Yeah. Billy Bean might know a thing or two. Um, all right. So just, so just the Yankees at this point today, is that the only one? Yeah. Just, just the Yankees. I'm, uh, I'm waiting. Like I said, uh, the hits runs errors lines, uh, actually the A's is, is one of my hits runs errors plays that I'm looking for. Um, if I can get like 25 or 20, 26 would be cool. I guess it's probably be like 25 and a half. You want to go? Uh, yeah. Just waiting, waiting for some of these places to open. You want to back go- in that morning routine, waiting for, Props to go up. You want to go under on the A's? Is that what you're looking yeah, to do? Yeah, under on the A's. Under on the A's. Okay, when uh, when Hits Runs Errors comes out, just another market that Jason Weingarten might be exploiting in baseball. Wide World of Weingarten, five times a week or thereabouts. Jason, we appreciate it as always, man. Good to talk to you. Thank you. I'll be on Will Hill's uh, CityCast after this, recording that in about an hour. Bang! Plug for Will Hill's New York CityCast wherever podcasts are distributed. Coming back with Brady Cannon next on the Numbers Game at Visa and the Sports Betting Network. The Numbers Game with 
Gil Alexander on VSIN, the sports betting network. Back on a numbers game, Gil Alexander, Jeff Parlay here as well. Jeff, so in the end, uh, we don't, none of us have any pre flop plays on and any of these three NBA games tonight. And maybe for me, maybe it's for the best because I couldn't have read that Minnesota game more incorrectly last night. Nothing for you? No. Yeah. No, I did the. The Philadelphia-Toronto game is the most difficult on the board. I don't like that because yeah. we need to see what Philadelphia looks like without Tybal and and Philadelphia uh, could roll them again. And also, too, Gil, on normal just series patterns as we've seen through time and time, this is the game the home team usually gets after losing the first two on the road. So. It's a really hard game, but everything we've seen in that series, Philly's just way better. And Milwaukee, I'm not getting in front of them, even though Chicago, oh, thank you. Even though Chicago gave them a run. And then Brooklyn, Boston, just sit back and enjoy. Maybe some live betting. I Brooklyn, think that's Boston. the game you could pick on live betting-wise. Yeah. Even though, again, if Brooklyn's the team that's getting blown out, they might just give up and head home. Man, can't wait for that tonight. Game two. Brady Cannon is here, ladies and gentlemen, co-host of the greatest golf betting show there ever was, Long Shots. Brady, how you doing, man? I'm good. good. How you. are you? I'm doing very well. You don't have a uh, tournament jacket on today, so. No, I wore uh, my Georgia Peach short shirt for you. Georgia Peach shirt. I like it. You look very good in that. Thank very you. good. Nice, on, nice ensemble from Brady today. <laughs> uh, we're going to the Zurich Classic this week in New Orleans, or as you pointed out off air, technically in Avondale. Correct. Louisiana. I believe it's about 20 minutes outside of uh, New Orleans. All right. So we have a different format this week. Mm-hmm. Please Which explain. is kind of fun. Uh, PGA Tour mixing it up a little bit. You remember a month ago, uh, we were in Austin, Texas for the match play event. Yes. And now we get something a little different, a team event. Uh, there's 160 players in the field making up 80 teams. Okay, so you really have 80 entries into the tournament. Uh, How third, are the teams decided? Two guys get together? I think together? they just kind of, yeah, they, they just get together and say, hey, let's team up for this. Really, like, honestly. Hey, Brady, I'm, you want to be a team? And you'll be like, no, you suck, Gil. I don't want to be on your team. <laughs> you know, Ryan uh, Palmer has got to be like the next uh, Jay Wright of of golf or whatever because he's recruited Jordan Spieth as his partner, John Rahm, and now Scotty Scheffler. Wow. So <laughs> Justin Thomas was giving him a little flack on Twitter for uh, recruiting the best players we, in the world. We were debating on primetime because we do one and done every week. We mm-hmm. have a season-long one and done contest where the loser, the person, the person who finishes in last, pays for dinner for both of us at the end of the year, uh, extravagant dinner. And then we also do a draft every week. And we were debating with this format – if we should just scrap the one and done this week, or if it makes it that much more interesting having to go with two guys. Yeah. And you've got to obviously pick two guys on a team that we, that, that that you we haven't, haven't used, selected before, which makes it a little complicated also. Yeah. So I do believe they select their own teams because you'll see a lot of countrymen joining up together. I see um, buddies that are, you know, regular buddies on tour and stuff. So that, that's cool too, to see the camaraderie and, and the team effort. Um, it's very difficult to handicap because, you know, I equate it to football you're going to you have a power rating or whatever for the Pittsburgh Steelers and you have a, a a value or a rating for the Patriots and they're going to square off and you see where the number is guessing lines whatever mm-hmm. um but if the Patriots and the Steelers team up against the Chargers and the Ravens what right. do you do then so what do you, do? you know i i can handicap Ryan Palmer against Scotty Scheffler, but when they're a team facing off against, you know, Henrik Stenson and Justin Rose, it's very difficult. So Matt Brown and I uh, did the Long Shots podcast this week, of course, Matt Brown from the New Orleans area, so he certainly has some course knowledge, and we kind of attacked it similarly 
we looked at certain statistics and who does well in certain areas that we think are going to be important on this golf course and also for team play. And then we kind of just added up those numbers and said, okay, this team looks really strong. They have, you know, maybe these guys' skills complement one another or they're both really good everywhere, you know. So uh, a little bit more of a crapshoot this, this week for sure. But yeah. um, here's here's the outright market, by the way, for those curious at the Zurich Classic. This courtesy of BetMGM. Can't land Shoffley. No surprise, really. Eight to one. So are Vic Hovland and Colin Morikawa because those are the uh, – the most elite names in this that have paired up. There's together. really good players in this field and yeah. Leishman and Smith. They're the defending champions. Uh, Sam Burns, of course, an LSU graduate, Billy Horschel. Before this was a team event, Billy Horschel won this at this course as a normal stroke play event. He's also won it as a team event paired with Scott Piercy. I believe it was 2018. Um, so Matt, uh, Matt Brown, Wes Reynolds, and myself are all on the team of Sam Burns and Billy Horschel. We got them at 12 to one. And, you know, from experience with Matt and myself and everybody else, 12 to one is usually not a price we gravitate towards, but this team just looks so loaded. They, they finished fourth last year, Sam Burns and Billy Horschel. So Matt Brown loves himself some Sam Burns too. Of course, an LSU yeah. guy, right? Mm -hmm. But, uh, I, I think it's tough to not have that team on your card. Uh, Taylor Gooch and Max Homa, uh, both of these guys ranked really high in the stats I looked at this week. Taylor Gooch, uh, third in the field on par threes over 200 yards. Every par three on this course is better than 200 yards. And then Max Homa, first in the field in strokes gained par fives. You're going to have to make birdies. You're going to have to make a lot of birdies to win this event. And uh, you got to be able to take advantage of par fives in the way of birdies, in my opinion. Did you mention this already, that Thursday, Saturday is different from Friday, Sunday? Right. So Thursday and Saturday, they will play best ball, and that's not a scramble. A lot of people confuse those two things. Um, each player in a best ball will play their own golf ball from tee to, to until they hole it out. And whichever of the two team members has the lower score, that becomes your team score. Ah, okay. So if player A makes a four and player B makes a three, a three is what you put on your card. That's what your team gets. Gotcha. So it's the better ball of the two. Okay. Yeah. And then Friday and Sunday is alternate shot. And this is kind of interesting. It's predetermined. So if you put out on hole number one, I am not necessarily teeing off on hole number two. It's predetermined that Gil is going to tee off on all the odd numbers holes, and I'm going to tee off on all the even number ah, holes. I see. Okay. And so that's very strategic. With these par threes at over 200 yards, you're going to put your best iron player on the par threes, which three of the four are on odd numbered holes. You think the players enjoy this kind of event? I think they do. Just Absolutely. As a change of pace? Uh, it's a million dollars, I believe, oh, to each enjoy, winner. They enjoy that. Um, to each winner. So two correct. million and they split it. Right. Oh, right. Man. FedEx Cup points. I mean, it's basically like a normal tour event. We, we would have to mess around with that in our one and done also. We would probably have to split the the, the purse as well for because that's how we tally up, right? There Based you go. on the purse. Right. Yeah. So we would have to mess around with that as well. So you, you ended up with on Burns and Horschel. Anything else? Burns and Horschel, uh, Taylor Gooch, Max Homa, uh, Harold Varner the third, and Bubba Watson. This is kind of an interesting camaraderie type pairing. Mm -hmm. It was back in January in Saudi Arabia that Bubba Watson was up by the flag waiting for Harold Varner to putt, figuring he was headed for a playoff, and Harold Varner nailed a 90-foot putt to win the <laughs> tournament, and Bubba walked away a loser. 
answer. Yeah. So I think it's kind of fun that uh, they're paired together. Uh, Bubba makes a lot of birdies. Harold Varner's been playing great golf lately, so I took a shot with them at 25 to 1. Uh, the Chilean contingent, both from Santiago, Chile, Mito Pereira and Joaquin Neiman. I took them at 25 to 1. Both great ball strikers, both excellent short games. Keegan Bradley and Brendan Steele. Uh, these guys are both great off the tee, great ball strikers. Uh, they've both had success at the American Express, which employs uh, another Pete Dye design, which TPC Louisiana is. And these guys finished fourth here last year. So they've got experience in prior years as a team before. I think they'll do well. Uh, Patton Gazire and JT Poston. This is a, a St. Simons Island, Sea Island uh, contingent here. These guys uh, both practice down there in Georgia. They both love the Bermuda grass putting surface. Uh, they both had good finishes at the American Express. So I like that uh, team there. Both good short games. And then uh, Team Canada, Team Adam. Adam Hadwin and Adam Svensson. Ooh. Uh, Adam Hadwin is really Mr. American Express. He's had four top six finishes there in La Quinta. Of course, the stadium course, they play two out of the four rounds there. That's a Pete Dye design. Um, both really good on approach and uh, have had a number. These two guys combined have had five top ten finishes on the PGA Tour this year. Okay, and no head-to-heads, you just did outright? I actually did do one head-to-head. Oh. -head. I took uh, Keegan Bradley and Brendan Steele at minus 145 over Graham McDowell and Seamus Power. What would be the greatest VEASAN pairing of hosts if we had <laughs> if we had a, a, a all-star event like this? What would be the, the golf pairing? You and humans? I know Dave Ross is a pretty good golfer. Oh, is he? Dave Ross, yeah. I, uh, humans is pretty good, yeah. Um, I guess Wes used to play, but... Uh, you're, you're missing Apparently it. Apparently doesn't ben, play too often it's anymore. It's Ben Wilson Ben Wilson. Ben Wilson. Ben Wilson. Yeah, it's Ben Wilson. That's right. Ben Wilson. Good. Yeah. I forgot about Ben. And, ben and Dan Miller, uh, our producer uh, for the weekends oh, okay. and works with Polly and Mitch in the morning. He he plays a lot. Brian Rogers plays his good Oh, player. Brian Rogers, yeah. Ben Wilson, put a stick in that guy's hand. Doesn't matter what sport. I think it's a, think it's a Ben Wilson-Brady uh, Cannon or Ben Wilson-Brian uh, Rogers combo. Yeah. That's what I think we're going at. Okay. We're humans. I don't know. Yeah. It's hard, Gil. Yeah. Who would you, you, you would, does Matt I, Brown play? I would imagine Matt Brown plays. Me too. I would imagine, but I don't know how often he, he would gets probably to. be, you know, if you, if Matt again, Brown we're recruiting a, teammates and we're choosing our, he'd probably be your parent. He huh? pitched at LSU, I believe. Oh, really? To some extent. Yeah. He talks about how Ricky Weeks took him deep. <laughs> that's, that's the I would also, of his career. I would also lower my risk on this type of tournament. It's much more random than a, a yeah. regular stroke play. Event. Should be fun to watch though. Little little trickier handicap. Yeah, fun to watch for sure. Trickier yeah. handicap as well. Okay. Brady, stick around if you want to. Jeff Schwartz joins us next. NFL Draft Thoughts next on a numbers game at Visa and the Esports Betting Network. BetMGM, the king of sportsbooks, unleashes the spirit of Las Vegas with BetMGM Rewards. Every time you make a wager at BetMGM, you can earn BetMGM Rewards points that you can redeem for online bonus credits like free bets and risk-free tokens. Planning a trip to Vegas, you can also convert your BetMGM points into MGM Rewards points that you can use towards dining, shows, and hotel rooms at over 20 MGM Resorts properties located on the Las Vegas Strip and nationwide. BetMGM Rewards, sports betting's premier loyalty program featuring exclusive offers, incredible experiences, and valuable perks. When you wager on the 
BetMGM app. Sign up with BetMGM or log on today to get an even bigger piece of the action with BetMGM Rewards. Eligibility restrictions apply. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. It's Gil Alexander. Jeff Parlay is here as well. One glaring omission, Jeff, on our on our golf, our VEASAN golf pairings? Yes. Josh Towers has to be oh, no on question. the list. Not even a doubt. No question about it. On a day when all kinds of random stuff has uh, entered the show, Rob Manfred on in-game betting, Woj, Woj's thoughts, ridiculous as they were, on uh, what's afoot with uh, vitriot, what was it, vitriotic, he said, vitriotic uh, nature between fans and then players these days. Um, we left out a couple things. One, about the Pelicans and the Suns. So, so Chris Paul games now, Scott Foster, refed games that involve Chris Paul, Chris Paul now 0-14 in Scott Foster ref games, but I would argue last night's game had nothing to do with that. Well, nothing to do with, got, yeah. with Foster. It had to do with Booker getting hurt and then Brandon Ingram not missing a shot the whole fourth and, quarter. And the Pelicans going 17 of 30 from behind the arc, 56.7%. And then the other big n- news was in tennis that Wimbledon will bar players from Russia and Belarus from playing in the tournament, according to multiple reports, because of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, a decision that will affect two of the world's highest-ranked players. Now, the two highest-ranked players that they're talking about is the current men's world number one, Novak Djokovic. Remember, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, Daniil Medvedev is now number two. It will affect Daniil Medvedev's appearance at Wimbledon, Daniil Medvedev from Russia. The reason I bring up Djokovic is the thinking is, well, if Medvedev's out, might not be a big deal at Wimbledon because that's Djokovic's tournament to lose. Well, let me just tell you about Djokovic right now. He he just lost on clay, and he's get he's down a he's down two breaks in the first set against Laszlo Jer uh, in Serbia right now in a in a clay court tournament. So, and I get it, it's clay and the other's grass, but are, I'm not so a hundred percent sure that Novak Djokovic is a lock to win anything. So Medvedev being ousted from that tournament by that rule would bring it down to someone else after that. So that's fascinating. And on the lady side, they're referring to the world's number four, Arena Sabalenka, who's from Belarus. But what a uh, what a fascinating decision that individual sport athletes from those countries would get penalized like that. Uh, fascinating development in the sport of tennis. Let's talk some NFL draft. Ladies and gentlemen, former offensive lineman, uh, in the league for the better part of a decade. And, of course, the host of the Jeff Schwartz is Smarter Than You podcast, works at Sirius XM, and, of course, Fox does a lot of Pac-12 stuff. It's Jeff Schwartz. How you doing, Jeff? I am good. I heard you talking about the Foster stat with with, uh, with Chris Paul. How about this one I saw last night? The Atlanta Hawks are 0-41 against the spread this year in games they've lost. They've yet to cover one loss this season. 0-41 against the spread in games they've lost. Meaning, meaning yes. yes, meaning the spread hasn't uh, hasn't mattered at all in that. Wow, interesting. That's wild, right? That is a How's that possible. That's a, that's an amazing stat. It's an amazing stat. Um, but they're one of those teams also where it's like you, you because of the volatile nature of them, right? They could, when they lose, they lose bad. But you know they're they're capable yes. of rising up in any one of these games. Although the heat behind 45 from Jimmy Butler yesterday uh, took him down. At the end. That was just unbelievable. So, Jeff, here, here's what we need. We need some guidance from you uh, because okay. I've, I've done extremely well. Many of us have. But I've, I've had a, a complete domination of the NFL draft with betting through the years. It has been awesome. 
This year, though, I have to tell you, I don't know if I'm winning. Because we're eight days before this draft, and nothing has appeared more vague than this coming NFL draft. What is your best sort of intel right now, what you're thinking is, hap- is going to happen at the top of the draft? Let's start there with picks one, two, and three, maybe. Oh, man, I, I have no idea. The other day, I took Aiden <laughs> Hutchinson as your number two overall. Um, probably the value of number one now, I think, is lost, right? I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a, lay, a heavy juice number, no matter what the rumors are. I just... I thought, you look, if – and the people that – so let me back up a second. There, there's two types of mock drafts, right? There's a mock draft where people are just kind of guessing, right? They have their big boards are laying out they're doing. And there's some mock drafts where the guys that are doing it are, are kind of like doing it based off of what they hear, right? And so enough people that, that I trust that talk to NFL people think that Walker's going number one. So I took, I took eight hundred in like – it was like plus 300 to go number two. So, I mean, I'd sprinkle on that a little bit. I put Kenny Pickett uh, as first quarterback, taking it six to the Panthers. I, I think that David Tepper, he wants to win now. And unless they go, like, tackle now and then Baker Mayfield, they really they need a quarterback. I mean, Sam Donald's not the guy. And I'm not, to be honest, I'm not sure Kenny Pickett is as well, but he's probably the guy they're going with. I mean, Will, Willis is just too much of a risk, in my opinion, to take him a six overall for a staff that – I need someone to come in early and play at least okay. Um, that, that's where I, I bet on Pickett, and that's, this is just hard, man. I think there. I saw a Trevor Penning number today for the offensive tackle in Northern Iowa at 16 and a half. Like that number is, I think he goes before 16 or at 16 to the Saints, the latest he drops. But I think the numbers this year feel really good, especially the draft, where as you mentioned, there's just so much unknown. By the way, clarifying the Hawks thing. According to ESPN, the Hawks are 0-41 against the spread in losses this season, 0-22 ATS as an underdog. That's unbelievable. Crazy, right? <laughs> wow. Uh, wow. Missed that. So, okay, do you believe, because I have seven bets right now. Two of them are about okay. wide receivers and quarterbacks, right? I'm, I'm over on wide receivers at six, plus 140. I'm over on quarterbacks at three, minus 115. Um, my thinking here on this is, and we, again, on the cusp of hearing, you know, not on the cusp, but on the heels rather of hearing that Debo Samuel now wants out of San Francisco. It's just that NFL front offices would want more than ever before to have wideouts yeah. and quarterbacks on these rookie deals. I, I, I don't think I can, you yeah. know, if I lose those bets, tip of the cap, but I don't think I'm, I'm wrong for leaning in that direction on both of those positions. You got a flat three for quarterbacks, not three and a half. Say again. No, I have it at three. Okay, that's good. I saw a three and a half today, and um, and I was like, yeah, that's. I would take the under on that. I think I think three is the right number for quarterbacks. The question becomes, obviously, the fourth quarterback would be like at thirty-two with the Lions, right? Right. Like that's the one where I think right is the one that you know you get a pass rusher at two and then at thirty-two. Let's say Desmond Ritter is still there, and, De- and most people agree that he's maybe the most ready, but not as much upside as the other guys. And so why just take Desmond Ritter? And then you get one more year of player control, right, is the, 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 the fifth year there. Wide receiver, I think you're right there, because if you look at the back, especially the back half of the draft, right, so if you expect you know, Drake London and Wilson and Olave and um, you know, to go really early in the draft, and then you have, obviously, you have Dotson and you have Traylon Burks, right? Who else am I? I'm probably forgetting uh, – 
um, a couple guys as well. But you look at the Packers and you look at at, at, uh, at the Chiefs, like they're for sure taking wide receivers, right? So all these guys are off the board early at the top of the draft, and you have teams that need wide receivers desperately at the bottom of the draft. So I like I like wide receivers in a big way in this draft. Um, you know, I, I could see five. I don't know what number is for defensive ends. I mean, you're going to hit five at least, and you might have a team like the Chiefs who reach for one at 30. Like I think there could be six defensive ends taken. I don't know what the number is now. That feels like a position that could go very quickly um, in the draft. Maybe seven. Maybe Kansas City reaches for a seventh guy because they just desperately need pass rush at 30. So I think defensive end, wide receiver, uh, offensive tackle, excuse me, offensive line is interesting. There's, I think the number is at seven and a half. That's a pretty good number. I, I wouldn't touch that one. No running backs will get drafted in the first round. Do you believe that? running back in the first round like that's that's the question right is yeah which team at the back half of the first round is doing it um not many that i can think of that need that guy right now i, I don't see that happening though i think it's real i think that's going to be zero as well so in the end do you, because of like the, the eight teams have two picks and we only have 30 seconds here jeff but do you think there's going to be a flurry of trades in the end on draft day um i think a lot of teams want to trade back i don't know how many teams want to trade up like, that's, that's what it comes down to, right? Like, there's not those players that I think you give up a first-round pick next year to draft this year. And so, I think Carolina would love to move back at six, but uh, who's going to move up to six? Like, for who? Right. For quarterback? I don't see it. So, I think that's I think that's the concern is who you trading up for. Plenty of teams want to trade back. I just don't see those guys in this draft. Houston's got to trade back at three, that's for sure. Jeff, we appreciate it. Sorry it's so short. We appreciate you making the time, though. All right, take care, bud. Jeff Jeff Schwartz, everybody, at Jeff Schwartz, G-E-O-F-F, on Twitter.